by the ancient laws of combat, we are met at this chosen ground to settle for good and all. Who holds sway over the five points? Welcome to Now Playing's Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio Retrospective Series. You swore this was a battle between warriors, so warriors is what I brought. With the February 19th release of Scorsese's latest film, Shutter Island, we here at Now Playing will be looking at the latest chapter in Scorsese's career by reviewing his four most recent films, Gangs of New York, The Aviator, The Departed, and Shutter Island, all of which star Leonardo DiCaprio. Are you with us or not? These discussions will be spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. Four deep thinkers. And today we are talking about Shutter Island, the concluding chapter in our Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio collaboration. Shutter Island? What do you want to go there for? (laughs) I don't. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio... Mark Ruffalo, Ben Kingsley, Max von Sydow, Michelle Williams, and just about everyone else playing extras and cameos. I am your host, Stuart from L.A. And this is Jacob, also from L.A. And this is Arnie, not from L.A., but I've been there a few times. (laughs) Yeah. Folks, I owe you an enormous scream, don't I? You do, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For those that have been following all our podcasts, we've been covering uh, Gangs of New York, Aviator, Departed, leading up to Shutter Island. I did end the Departed podcast by promising that if, in fact, the plot twist that I had surmised from the trailer was, in fact, the plot twist they were going to give us at the end, I was just going to scream for an hour and that you could just listen to that. It's early morning here in L.A. I have neighbors. I really can't do that. <laughs> so I'm not going to scream, but I also think there is a twist to that promise now. I wasn't as angry about it as I thought I was going to be. Let's save and, that. Let's save that yeah, for the end. I agree. I agree. We, that will be our twist ending, is why I'm not screaming. Even though in the beginning credits we always say there's spoilers, here we mean it. I mean, truly, I think in this case... It is a spoiler. It's not just knowledge. It would spoil the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet... Uh, It's kind of hard to talk about the movie without getting to the crux of it. I was reminded walking out of the theater of a joke Chris Rock told, in which he was describing Michael Jackson's media travails, and Jermaine Jackson was starting to do press. And he said, I thought I was done with Jermaine Jackson. I bought Dynamite. I bought... I did what you did to when you did what you do to me. I thought I was done. I thought I had seen this movie. I thought we had all seen this movie. I saw (laughs) Angel Heart. I saw Identity. I saw Jacob's Ladder. I saw all of that shit. Why are they still making this movie? I got to say, I want to put it right up off the bat. This is a huge disappointment for me. I cannot believe that it's the twist that we're going to get to is the twist that they gave us. I just think this is the best movie M. Night Shyamalan never made. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll agree with that. I think, I think that's true. If you like those kind of movies, if you consistently find yourself enjoying the twist and the surprise, even as it becomes absurd, this one is made for you, and you really should shut off this podcast until you've seen the film. Well... The problem is with these twist endings. The entire movie lives and dies by how well you enjoy the twist. 
Mm. And that is the problem with this movie. I'm, we're going to get into it. I think this movie's well done, well made, well acted. Everything's good about the movie, but then the twist happens, and that is going to make or break this film for every individual. Because you see a movie like Fight Club, and if you go with the twist at the end, it's a you love the movie, and if you just kind of roll your eyes, you don't. And that's the case with this movie. It's a gimmick. Yeah. It's a one-trick pony. And in general, I would just like to say, I've listed some of those movies there. How do we feel about Sixth Sense? How do we feel about, you know, End Dreams and, and all of these things that are built on twists like that? Going into this movie, you mentioned Identity. And I remember how excited I was to see Identity and how disappointed I was by the end of that. It, it, spoiler alert for Identity, it all takes place in the mind of a serial killer. And I guess I like a good ghost story, but I like it to have some sense of reality when it's all a dream. It's it's all in a person's head, something like that. It's not very satisfying because there's no logic involved. You could do anything when that's you know that, that, that's the basis that it's just it's fantasy world. This movie, I I, I guess I'm different. I, I yeah, when we get into the twist, I, I had some issues with it, but I didn't mind it because I thought there was something deeper than just that twist. And I don't mind a surprise ending, a twist ending. Like with Fight Club, there's something deeper. It's not just about the twist. That movie is about so much more than just that twist. That's how I felt about Shutter Island, that there was more than just the twist. So I didn't mind it that much. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you put it that way. I would like to amend what I say. When the entire enjoyment of the movie is predicated on one big plot twist and making you reevaluate everything that you've seen, and that's the end, I'm very angry. If you only manage to, for example, I'll take the movie Blade Runner, allude ambiguously to the fact that perhaps there is a twist or another way of looking at it and that there's another story, a larger story going on. I really enjoy that. I think that's good storytelling. So let's just jump into it. Let's get on the ferry. We're going to ride this movie from the start. It begins shrouded in fog, Leonardo DiCaprio riding a tugboat with his new partner, seasick, very important little character plot. He, water makes him ill. And they are duly appointed marshals headed to a island off the coast of Boston. It's 1954, and they have been called in to investigate a mysterious disappearance of a patient at an insane asylum. It's the Ashcroft Hospital for the criminally insane. I knew nothing about this movie going in at all. And right away I knew something was up, because you start off with Leonardo DiCaprio puking in a toilet on a boat, and then he walks out onto the deck of the boat and sees Mark Ruffalo, who plays his partner, Chuck. And they're introduced to each other for the first time on the deck of this completely empty boat, and he's like, so I guess you're my partner. And I'm like, wouldn't you have met before boarding the boat? Right. Already, my alarm has gone off saying this is obviously not a reality because you definitely would not be shaking hands in transit. I mean, you both had to get on the on the tugboat together, correct? Right. I mean, it's oh, already I'm thinking of the relationship between Haley Joel Osment and Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. Yeah, I thought Mark Ruffalo was a ghost or an imagination or things for about half the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does not feel like the same consequences are happening to him. As the movie proceeds, we're going to see Leo getting more agitated, more unbalanced and he doesn't seem to be going through anything. 
He's very calm, sedate. It's a strange performance for Ruffalo because he's always kind of the on edge, agitated guy. And here mm-hmm. he's just kind of laid back. It's like he's he hit the bong before going on screen or something. <laughs> yeah, he's calming. And there's, of course, a reason to that. We'll find it out. One of the first people that he meets is Ben Kingsley playing Dr. Cawley. Is he, he's not really the head guy. Uh, what, what is his role? He's sort of second in command at the hospital. He he's, oversees the day-to-day operations, but he is the underling of a Nazi played by Max von Sydow. Is that the relationship? I kind of thought Ben Kingsley was in charge and Max von Sydow just like had a co- job there but like kingsley was in charge and cedow was one of the doctors i don't know i wasn't quite sure uh, yeah it's very it's very vague it's the doctors vague. seem to pop out of this all of a sudden in this movie you like <laughs> walk into a room and all of a sudden there's a board meeting going on i'm like what where, yeah where are all these people hanging out is it just me or with the little bit of the soul patch did ben kingsley look like latter-day howie mandel <laughs> <laughs> Well, he looked Luciferian. I, I kept thinking that they, they made him look like the devil. And so I was trying to figure out, is he going to be the literal devil? You know, there have been twist movies that I have mentioned that have done that. Or is he just a devilish character? Wow, Stuart, you're like just on such a different plane on this movie than I am. Because I'm going in and I'm not thinking heaven, hell, Satan, afterlife. I'm curious because I knew right from the bat, just from that opening scene, I knew something wasn't what it seemed. But really, I kind of thought Ben Kingsley was the villain because he's often the villain. And when he's friends with Max von Sydow, who's always the villain, (laughs) you know? And like, I really thought that they were duly appointed marshals and that the psychiatrists, I mean, how often are psychiatrists villainized anyway? It seemed perfect that these guys had some nefarious plot. And you have a, you had a Nazi psychiatrist. I mean, yes. Villainy yeah. upon villainy right there as far as Hollywood's concerned. Yeah. All we're, are we needing our, is a dentist asking, is it safe? <laughs> Love that <laughs> movie. Yeah. We're not sure of the relationship, but one of the things, the first things you'll notice, and it happens again and again, is things are happening in pairs. That Leo and his partner, Ben Kingsley has his partner with Max von Sydow. The woman that has gone missing is named Rachel. There's going to be two Rachels. There's doubles. There's doppelgangers. It's a classic noir device that there are shadow selves and so you know we're we're brought into a mystery of right away in these first moments here's the thing rather than trying to guess what is happening on with the disappearance of rachel i'm trying to guess what's going on in the head of teddy daniels the character being played by leonardo dicaprio i have already been convinced this is happening in his mind but what i'm trying to figure out is is he going insane is he dying? Because there's a lot of allusions to the fact that this is going to kill him and that this uh, Shutter Island will be bring about his death. They bring that up early and often. And so I'm trying to figure out what is the reality because there are, of course, dreams and flashbacks going on. Teddy is haunted by his tour of duty in World War II. It happened a decade earlier, and he liberated, uh, they say Dachau. Um, I don't think that that was Dachau. That we saw, it looked more like Auschwitz. I've been there, so it, it kind of threw me. But anyway, he's, he's freeing a Jewish concentration camp and haunted 
by what he saw there. I went into this much like you guys. Okay, where's the twist? What's the twist? I'm trying to figure it out. And when they started bringing in like the whole World War II stuff, you know, liberating this concentration camp, it really took me out of this mind frame of trying to figure out this movie and kind of sucked me in going, wow, there's another layer here. This is getting into something deeper. You know, we we have such this, I guess, fantasy of World War II that, you know, these were, you know, the greatest generation. And obviously these are men. I mean, I I have World War II vets to my family and it wasn't, you know, this John Wayne vision that we've been given by Hollywood. So it, it totally took me to another place when they started getting into this whole, you know, these flashbacks of World War II and these bodies of dead Jews in the concentration camp and and this Nazi who's tried to commit suicide that's crawling around on the ground with blood spurting out of him. It it really, you know, took me out of trying to figure out what this game is and it got me into the movie. Well, I'll tell you what it made me think about. It made me think that that was the reality and that Shutter Island was the afterlife purgatory fantasy. I thought, well, I saw the movie Jacob's Ladder, and I'm going to, guess, have to spoil that movie. A lot of that movie takes place in Vietnam with a soldier dying and having visions and fantasies projected in the future. I thought that might be what they were getting at here. I thought that we were going to find out that Leo had been mortally injured. People keep walking up to him and telling him he's injured he's wounded and i thought we were going to find out he had been physically mortally wounded while in the concentration camp i never once thought that i just kind of thought that was a something that had happened to him that would come to bear on current events but then there's the other vision we get the visions repeatedly of the nazi war camp we also get visions of teddy's deceased wife played by michelle williams her name's dolores and she's constantly surrounded by fire and there's one really cool scene where like he's looking at her back and it's like burning embers and Mm -hmm. all that and the backstory of that is that after he returned from the war he was working as a you know a marshal left the house and his landlord was an arsonist and burned down the place And his wife was one of the four people uh, that was killed in the apartment. He makes a weird statement early on in the tugboat that she didn't burn up, that she died of smoke inhalation. At that moment, I was feeling like, okay, there's something there that if it's really important for him to define the fact that she didn't burn up, what is there to that? And then when we see the vision of her with embers and burning, I immediately thought he killed his wife. That was immediately what I thought, is that he is repressing the fact that he killed his wife. See, I honestly just thought the smoke inhalation line was, you know, if I had to choose a way to die, choking or burning, I think I'd choose choking, you know? (laughs) So I kind of thought it was sympathetic. Comforting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's comforting to know that my wife wasn't inflamed, screaming, that she just might have passed out and drifted away into the afterlife. Yeah, that's all I took that as. Okay, I'm I'm so glad that this movie read more literally for you because I guess when I go into a movie suspecting a twist, that's all I can focus on. And so I'm just fetishizing everything that's being said is like what does that really mean? I mean, I guess I've just seen too many Sixth Sense. You know, I've seen too many of these movies. I don't want to be fooled. Well, let's say I was expecting a twist, and I'm very proud of myself because this series, more than any, has told me I'm very good at figuring this out because I was taking notes in the theater, and about halfway through the movie, I wrote down my 
theory as to what the twist was, and I was 80% of the way there. Mm-hmm. I was pretty close as well. Obviously, I'm on guard for a twist. The whole wife thing, I, I figured it wasn't quite true. It wasn't quite the story he was telling. He probably was somehow involved. One of the big things for me, which we'll get into, is they talk about this missing prisoner. They talk about how she murdered her three children. So mm-hmm. so with her plus those three children, that's four people. And Teddy or Leo or whatever name he wants to go by in this movie is we'll get into. You find out that three other people died along with his wife in that fire. So I, I started definitely connecting things that somehow this missing prisoner and the death of his wife are somehow connected. Yeah, the link there is that this Rachel Salando, this missing child killer, has left a little note hidden in a cubby that only Leo found that said, The Law of Four, who is 67? Mm-hmm. Already, I think I'm playing Mist again. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking more Sudoku. Oh, okay. <laughs> I started doing all kinds of math. Four, six, seven. If I add them all together, it's 17. If I divide them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. And I love mysteries. So this that that's fun. And I'm instantly trying to figure out what is the rule of four? I don't know. Yes, four people died in the apartment fire that killed Dolores. We're flashing back to her. So she's obviously important. Michelle Williams thought it was a good enough part to play. So we know this is central to the mystery. And what will that be? We learn pretty quickly on that it's not just coincidence that Teddy Daniels has taken an assignment on Shutter Island. Uh, the arsonist that burned down his place, that killed his wife, he was transferred here. He was a patient, and even though there are no records of it, this and I'm going to read the name, it's Andrew Latis, a name so garbled and complicated you know it has to be an anagram or mean something else. Andrew Latis, Kaiser Sose, Louis Cipher is on Shutter Island. So he's he may be here in official capacity to find this Rachel Solando, but his ulterior motive is to find his wife's killer and maybe kill him. A lot of people are presuming the idea, once they find out that's what his aim is, that he is here for vengeance and will kill. What did you guys think about Andrew Latis? And this, this is where Bell started going off for me because that's just – it was way too convenient. Mm. upon that whole revelation i'm like there, there's yeah there, there's something going on here it just didn't seem right it's too much of a coincidence and i, I get that with the these kind of suspense thrillers there's a lot of coincidences because they're always trying to throw you off the track and so this got me thinking there's something not quite right about this whole plot uh, revelation here's what got me is we actually get to see latest and he's played by an actor who i actually recognized the voice and i had to look him up he played casey jones in teenage mutant ninja turtles one and three yeah good to see he got work again 20 years later i don't know exactly the correct pronunciation it's elias coteus or coteus or i don't i don't know what ethnicity it is i don't know where you put the inflection it's a strange name i always called him the robert de niro lookalike yeah I, i honestly thought it might be de niro yeah, he did. and and here with the makeup on, he's got a huge scar across his face and rotten teeth and all that. For a half second, you might think that Gorsese went and worked with his old pal again, but nope, it's Elias Coteus playing latest. And he's done quite a bit other than Ninja Turtles. That's just where I recognize the voice from. But when you see him, it really makes you think that that is a real person because he's got a missing eyeball and the big mm-hmm. scar in his face. However, you know, this entire movie, I'm kind of noticing that Leo's missing part of an eyebrow. 
Oh, good sh- good catch. Yeah, okay. he's got that scar that's bandaged uh-huh. up above his eye. Yeah. Uh, it totally didn't didn't put that together. But you're right. That is very important that Latus has a scarred eye and that Leo has a scarred eye. You're right. Good catch. But th- but what did that mean to you when you noticed that? You didn't quite connect the dots yet? That was about the moment. Before we saw Latus as a character. And it should be said we're seeing him in a dream. It is not a physical confrontation meeting. Leo keeps, you know, falling asleep and has this extended fantasy that he's in Ben Kingsley's study and and Latus is there sitting there cackling, having a drink. Yeah, there's the one with the latest. He has several of them where his wife appears. And, you know, again, I'm trying to take this pretty literally. I'm tr- I'm starting to wonder if Teddy is psychic, perhaps. You know, maybe it's like the dead zone. And when he sleeps, he has psychic revelations shown to him by his dead wife. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is all real. I'm, I'm hoping for this because I don't like the it was just a dream endings. Right. But. When I saw Latest and saw the scar and everything, part of me thought, okay, because we have an actor and everything like that, maybe he is real. But part of me had wondered the whole time, are these two the same person? And there was the scar on the eye. What I really kind of thought was happen is that at the end of the movie, Leonardo DiCaprio would be the fantasy and Elias Kotis would be the real person. Mm, Interesting. That's I never thought of that. But you're right. That is one way to conclude the fact that they are doppelgangers. Especially with the big scar in the eye. Obviously, if he was going to fantasize he's somebody else, he'd give himself his eye back. And that little scar on the eyebrow might just be, you know, the little bit his mind couldn't wipe away. Mm-hmm. The reality creeping in. Yeah, you do trust the wife in this. Dolores keeps popping up, and she keeps telling him really good advice. Like, every time she's saying something, you need to get out of here, you need to do this. The Rachel is still here on this island. She's usually confirmed to be right. And so you really do hang on her visions. They don't, you don't dismiss them because they're a dream. And I don't know that I ever thought that he was psychic, but I did think that she was the voice of reason. Well, I want to I build on that psychic thing because I wasn't very excited about this movie coming out. I, if I wasn't doing this podcast, I would not have seen it. I remember uh, sitting with my wife in Inglorious Bastards and we saw the trailer for this and we're like, eh, wow. That doesn't look good. And then the night before I saw the movie, I wanted to read some reviews just to get a sense of what I was in for. And like three different reviews mention they bring in The Shining, uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which I love that movie. And it's not because of the story. It's just such a creepy movie to watch. But I, I think it's funny, that, Arnie, that you bring in the whole psychic thing because that's a that's a big part of The Shining. So when I was, I, you know, I believe it was uh, Roger Ebert or one of the reviews I read called this Scorsese's Shining. And I loved the creepy aura, just just the weirdness going on in this film where, you know, you have he walks into the study and here's this supposed arsonist. And then he kind of goes away and then you have, you know, his wife sitting there and then you have these dead children that he sees running around. I just love that that the creepiness going on in this movie and and these visions or or whatever he's seeing. Again, I'm always thinking in this movie, trying to see what this twist is going to be. But. Scorsese, you know, we talked a lot about his quote-unquote artistic douchebaggery. Yes. This film was so well done from just film standpoint. Uh, we talked about the burning wife, and you have these ashes falling down the whole time during that scene. And then the, the scenes with these dead Nazis were just paperwork's falling down. And just these different scenes, uh, when you watch Leonardo's uh, smoking while he's having these different visions, if you really pay attention to the smoke, there's times where it's actually going back into him. 
I really like just this creepy, this horror sense that Scorsese brought to the film which he kept pulling me out of trying to figure out this game the whole time. And, and that scene with these different visions, I loved it. I thought they were really well done. I agree. This movie is very well made. And Scorsese has tried his hands at thrillers before, and I thought it was over the top. Cape Fear, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, is really just, I think, poorly directed. I mean, it, it hits you over the head with things. There's close-up of people brushing their teeth and just all of this artistic douchebaggery, really. I would use that word on Cape Fear. And here I felt like he's completely in control. His choice of where to place the camera, what to show, where to cut away. The score, I really liked it's all this like electrical cracking and almost like foghorn and, and electric socket <laughs> composed with those two things it's very evocative i am totally caught up in the mood that is true i really felt without disparaging the fact that i felt like i had figured it out in early i was enjoying the world I will agree with that 100% except for the score. But yeah, I didn't feel like anything here was done for art's sake. You know, that's what I consider the artistic douchebaggery is when there's not a real reason other than the director and his vision, you know. Mm -hmm. and he, There's no Irish shots in this movie. Yeah, there's no Irish shots. There's no blue grass. And what was done, even though did am I the only one who felt like half this movie was filmed in front of a green screen? Because it just came off that way. And I'm sure that was intentional. That That is what was done. They are superimposed onto backgrounds when they could have just easily filmed on location. This is Scorsese trying to emulate old school horror. You know, this is how if you went back and saw Van Luton horror movies from the 1940s, how they would look. Okay, so that would be artistic douchebaggery. Yeah, he's still refer <laughs> yeah, he is still referencing old movies and I don't think Scorsese can make a movie without referencing other movies. That said, it doesn't feel as heavy-handed or out of place. It doesn't draw attention to itself the way that sometimes when people make references, it just jars you. There's an artificial quality to the way Leo is walking around in this world and I think it it works for this particular story that they're telling. But yeah, I was really with the, you know, the camera movement and everything. You know, I'm I'm really attuned to when Scorsese moves that camera because Stuart, in the very first podcast, you're like, well, Scorsese has a sense of style and that camera keeps moving. So when the camera's doing like 360 degrees, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what Stuart was talking about. Mm -hmm. But at no point was I pulled out of it. I thought the artistic direction was great. I thought his use of cheap CGI was great. I loved the embers. I loved the ashes. I thought everything worked. The score annoyed me because I don't know if it was just poorly mixed, but god damn, that thing was loud. <laughs> I loved it. I, I, yeah. It has such a great, you know, 1950s horror feel to it. I, Tarantino did that with Kill Bill, where you just have the score blaring over everything. I love that feeling. It, it's mm -hmm. uh, just a sense of madness going on with that, that loud score blaring in your ear. And do you guys know there was nothing composed for this movie? He took existing 20th century music and just applied it. Whoa! No, I did. No I did. I did not look that. I did not look up who composed the score. I, I was going to compliment them, and I guess now there's no reason to. <laughs> yeah, whoever picked the music was really good. Yeah. But as editing these podcasts, I was looking at all the music from all of these movies to put in the credits and things, and I started looking at the Shutter Island soundtrack and realizing there was no score, just a soundtrack, and that's because all of this music was pre-existing music. 
Wow, interesting. But it fits so well because, like I said, a large part of this is a very droning foghorn kind of sound. And that's very important because everything in the story is leading up to revelations in a lighthouse. And I just felt like that fits so perfectly. And these electrical crackles, it kind of gets into the idea that, well, first of all, we're told that Shutter Island is surrounded by electrified fence. And then we're starting to learn about barbaric procedures that are applied to people that are mentally imbalanced at this time and that electroshock therapy it definitely alludes to that as well and all of these things are leading us towards our end i don't want to get there quite yet but i really like the score it did suck me in the way that this movie looks i mentioned before particularly in aviator that scorsese really likes to get inside the head of people and show you their point of view this movie does this very well in that case you you know your whole I love how many flash bulbs you see crashing into the ground came to me when I was watching this because I'm like, here, here's a f- movie about a guy that, that's obviously mentally unstable, and I don't have to watch a million flash bulbs going on. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. Stuart, you mentioned the electricity, and there's a number of scenes with this lightning flashing, and DiCaprio gets a migraine, and the one Jacob's Ladder thought I had, my own little conspiracy twist, was he's getting electroshock therapy, and this is all his fantasy. Yeah. And What really put that for me is there's one scene where there's this big storm and there's lightning all over and it's flashing on him. He gets the migraine. He passes out. He has a dream. He comes back to the storm is over, but it still flashes some lightning on him right there. Mm -hmm. And there's some weirdness that goes around this movie. I don't know if maybe I was paying too close of attention, but like when they're interviewing patients, somebody gets a glass of water. And when she takes the drink of the water, I didn't think I saw the glass in her hand, and she didn't chug, and then she puts it down, and this glass of water is empty. I noticed that, too. So this whole thing had this surrealistic feeling to it, and so when the light kept going after his migraine, I'm like, oh, he's getting electroshock right now. And no, that wasn't Mm. it, but I I really, for a while, thought that, yeah, it was like Jacob's Ladder, only this guy was strapped down and had some wet electrodes on his head. So I think what we're finding out here is that even if you go in smarty pants like us and say, I know there's a twist and I can spot it, there's a lot of different theories about what the twist could be. So even Even though I felt assured that what I was watching wasn't literally true, I can't say I was 100% sure I knew where it was going. I thought I knew where it was going, but they do offer you avenues and doorways as you meet more and more characters about what could potentially be going on here. One of those characters, George Noyce, played by Jackie Earl Haley. We're going to be familiar with him in a couple uh, weeks, Arnie, because he's our new Freddy Krueger. I don't know if you knew that. Of course I knew that. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. Yeah, you're the big Kruger fan, and, and that is our next podcast. Here he has a, a very nice note. He is the man that originally tipped Teddy off to where the whereabouts of Latis is, that he was an escaped uh, mental patient who murdered advocating I want to get the death penalty because I don't want to be sent back and have those horrible procedures done to me. And during that exchange, he tells Teddy that, yes, the man you're looking for is on Shutter Island. And what they find out pretty early on is this, you know, who is 67? Shutter Island has 66 patients, none of whom are Laetus. Mm-hmm. And so DiCaprio figures it out that they are hiding Laetus somewhere. And maybe they've turned him into this super soldier with their brain experiment, a soldier with no memory, a soldier with no pain, a soldier with no remorse. Mm-hmm. 
And I really like Jackie Earl Haley. He has a really nice little scene there. I really dug that. It's in Ward C, the darkest place where all the criminally insane people, the ones that can never be treated, are locked up. It was during this scene that I figured it all out because Jackie Earl Haley is beat to crap. And this is the big tipping point for me. And this is the moment where it all came together. We're only about halfway through the movie at this point. Mm -hmm. And Teddy says to George, who did this to you? And George goes, you did. And I'm like, okay, got it. Click. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, this this scene confused me because I'm like, have we seen this George character before? Is this some – why is he talking to Teddy like he knows him? Was there some flashback to World War II that I missed? And I really figure, okay, there's obviously some connection between Teddy and George here because otherwise this conversation makes no sense at all. Well, it took me a bit to figure out who the hell he's talking to because he's like, George, how'd you get back here? And I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, wait, yeah, he mentioned that somebody he talked to who made it out. Okay, it's this guy. It was not an instant recognition for me. It took about a Mm -hmm. minute for it all to click where we'd heard this name before because that's one thing about this movie, goddamn. It it drops a lot of names, and you never see the people. It's mentioning all these things, and it's very hard to keep up with it. This is kind of shit that can work in a book. Yes, but it because with a book you're taking it a little bit slower. And mm-hmm. also, though, sometimes when books pull this same shit of mentioning somebody and then bringing them up two hundred pages later, I gotta flip back and go, "Who the fuck was this again?" And you can't do that with a movie, especially yes. in a theater. You can't rewind. Who the fuck was George Noyce? And so it took me a minute to get it. I'm a visual learner, so when I can see someone's face, I can recall it. But you say someone's name, I may not recall it very well. And you're right. They only drop the name. I can't even remember his name. George Noyce. And we're expected to remember... 30, 40 minutes later when when he sees George in Ward C that this is that very guy. It is confusing that way, and I agree. As a book, even if you're a visual learner, you're seeing the words, you're seeing that name before, it will imprint, it'll stay with you longer than than just hearing the name. It is is a weird moment, and you're not sure what's going to happen next once these two confront. Yeah, because for a while I thought it was Ladius. You know, Noyce's face is kept in darkness, and they're both, you know, mostly bald. Mm-hmm. And it's very Hannibal Lecter, Clarice, you know, like he's in the ward where no one goes to, separated only by bars, talking to one another. I, yeah, I thought for a second that he had found the killer. If we had not seen Lattice, if he had been played by another actor, I think we would conclude that that was the man he was looking for. Now, Artie, you mentioned this whole secret soldier plot. What did, what did you guys think of that plot twist? Because that actually, I, I'm a conspiracy guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is coming out of the whole, you know, post-World War II, Cold Era. It's mentioned that, hey, maybe this is a, a U.S. military operation where they're trying to make these super soldiers where they don't have memories so they could go out on these missions. They can never be interrogated. You know, this is what the Nazis were doing with the Jews, what the Russians are doing with their prisoners in the gulag. And I actually, I actually kind of really got into this movie when, it, when this whole conspiracy, military conspiracy came up. What, what did you guys think of that plot development? I loved it. I I totally agree with you. I wish that this had been the uh, reality. I I kind of knew that it wasn't, but I just want to back up just a little bit and say that after this this exchange with George, Leo kind of goes rogue and goes away from his partner, doesn't trust anyone, and ends up on a cliffside in the caves where he meets the real Rachel Solando. She's the conspiracy nut. She's the one that's convinced that everyone there is in on it. And that she's the one that lays out for him this idea that it's all essentially covert operations that 
he is a war soldier. There's a reason why he's here and that he may be part of the experiment. He might be a super soldier. I never really thought that that would go anywhere. I always kind of thought that was fantastical. Perhaps they did do something like that in the 50s. They did all kinds of stuff. But this just didn't feel like a movie that was going to end with a bunch of zombies. You know, it just did not feel like that's where this movie was going is mm-hmm. Leo versus Super Soldier, you know, comic booky <laughs> ending. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just never once thought it. So it, I'm like, OK, yeah, Super Soldier next. <laughs> yeah. I, and I wish they had. I wish it would have been more surprising. And in some ways it would have been more satisfying if they had really gone with this or at least made this a plausible secondary plot that maybe that was happening. But there's also this. I, I'll tell you why I didn't totally commit to that why this could happen patricia clarkson is the actress playing rachel too and she at one point when she's naming all the other people the nazis and all of that she says the koreans did this during the korean war to american soldiers i don't know if you guys have ever seen the original manchurian candidate it's a great conspiracy movie i totally recommend it but that is exactly the plot of manchurian candidate and when she said the plot of manchurian candidate i said uh, that didn't really happen. <laughs> so I knew that she was crazy and I no longer trusted her anymore. And so I, I kind of knew that it wasn't going to be these experiments. But boy, what, what, a, what a nice thing to bring into the movie at this point because we're looking for new ideas at this point. And this certainly does fulfill a, a nice new theory as to what could be going on. At this point, Chuck has disappeared, and we're led to believe he fell off a cliff and was washed out to sea. And this is where, again, I thought Chuck was the imaginary friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I knew that no real person would have done that, especially where the cigarette was left. But the movie never completely explains to me why Chuck just disappears for the rest of the movie until the very end. Right. And even then, we're going to get into it. I don't know that that really makes any sense. And then he's picked up and given a ride back to the hospital by Ted Levine, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Love it. Dressed like an SS soldier in his Mm. warden uniform with the hat and the gloves. And there's that's a very fucked up scene that I still don't know what it means because they're driving back and he's like, we're violent men. You'd kill my head open for a piece of meat. And then he goes like, we've known each other for centuries. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is exactly when it's starting to lead back to Angel Heart territory or Jacob's Ladder territory for me, where I'm starting to think metaphysics. I'm starting to think that I actually had the idea that Leo might be a guardian angel. That he is an angel and that he is here to redeem the island and the people and that he is fighting Lucifer and that he is a soldier in the head of someone else. I'm so glad you didn't write this, Stuart. (laughs) I'm so glad it wasn't that kind of movie at least. Yes. No, I didn't say I wanted it that. I just started to have those thoughts because what else would this scene mean? It is so bizarre. Yeah, we're we're told early on that the warden looks like some jerk military guy. And so I'm thinking maybe he is a character that's happening in World War II, and we're going to see him in World War II. We don't see him in World War II. He comes back here, and then he comes back at the end. And I'm thinking, is he the devil? Because, I mean, yeah, he's, he's so wicked. At one point, he leans over, and his goodbye is, I, what would you do uh, if I tried to bite your eye out? I mean, it's such, a, it's such a tense moment. I'm so on the edge of my seat. I don't actually think he's going to do it, but what is going to happen from this exchange? It feels to me like an intentional misdirect to make you think he's the devil because having finished the movie and thought about it all night, 
this scene makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> it does make sense. Yeah, it does. Well, it, for me, th- this is what I took out of it. The whole time they're trying to build up that Teddy is this violent character. He talks about how they murdered all these Nazi guards uh, mm-hmm. back in World War II. And it, it's trying to continually set him up as a violent person. And that's what this whole scene's about. Maybe it was a little bit heavy-handed, but who knows if it's actually happening in reality. We're not really sure uh, when we get to the twist. Maybe this, this officer's just fucking with Teddy. We're violent men. God loves violence. God, that's, that's how you know God is through violence. What if I attacked you right now? And then Leo's like, I'd like to see you try. Like, it, I think it's just trying to drive home the point that Teddy is not a person to be trusted. He's a violent character and that he's dangerous. I actually think that there's a concrete reason. This is the warden, after all. He is the head of all of the security in the insane asylum, and he will have reasons for wanting to protect his men. That's going to come out in the end. If he can look into the eyes of Teddy and say, you're violent and you need to be put down, there's a reason for that. And we're almost there. But first, we got to get to the lighthouse. The lighthouse that was supposedly a sewer treatment plant? I was like, who uses a lighthouse for sewage treatment? Yeah, I, I had no idea what that meant. I'm like, are they using that as their latrine? Are they just taking dumps in the <laughs> lighthouse? What's going on here? I don't know. That would be an awfully strange toilet. It's a long way to walk for an outhouse. That's all I can say. You got to swim a little bit. In the 50s, did they really treat the sewage or did they just kind of dump it? You're asking the wrong dude. I I don't know. But anyway, all I'm focused on is that we know that once he gets to that lighthouse, everything will be revealed. We will finally know exactly what theories are right and what is material and what is all in Leo's head. And so he beats up a guard on the rocks as he swims there and then runs up a spiral staircase. Very vertigo for Hitchcock fans. Scorsese actually had Leonardo DiCaprio watch Vertigo because he was definitely going for that film. Oh, it definitely did. Yeah, Yeah, and the score even kind of reminds me, not that they use foghorns. It's just a very Hitchcockian score, and the the idea of leading everything up to the lighthouse is very much like Vertigo, one of Hitchcock's strangest and most famous movies. It feels intentional. I definitely, like I said, don't think Scorsese makes a movie without thinking about other movies the plot reminds him of. And so here we are at the big reveal, and then when he gets to the top, who does he see? Ben Kingsley greeting him with, why so wet, baby? That was weird too yeah well it it plays out yeah it's but it's a it's definitely one of those moments that i always like kind of remind me of a philip k dick moment or something like minority report or blade runner or total recall it's just it's a head fuck moment of like okay he knows something that's going on in leo's mind that leo himself doesn't know and damn it i was right it's all in teddy's head not really though not really no yeah did you ever see the game with, was it Michael Douglas? Yes. Oh, yes. that's what it reminded me of, and I hated that movie. This I giant, hated it. Yes. elaborate role-playing. Yes, yeah. Okay. You're right. It's not all in his head. Uh, everything we've seen, there's a material to it, but, which begs some questions, by the way. But it was tipped off earlier that Bing Kingsley is a person that does not believe patients should be treated violently are that patients should be treated with drugs. He believes that if you give them love, understanding, nurturing them, essentially playing a therapist role, that they will come to their own conclusions and write their own craziness. It's very touchy-feely, but he is caught between the war, between the violent, you have to lobotomize them, and the... We, have, we can drug them and they'll be normal ways of thinking. And given that, 
we find out that the warden, who is the warden, is wanting to have the guy lobotomized, that they are minutes away from doing Leo and not having to worry about him lashing out at guards or prisoners or hurting anybody else again. Because he's been there for two years, and he's been a horrible inmate, and he's full of anger, and he wants to kill, all because he can't face the reality of two years ago. Should we get to that? Go for it. Okay. The one thing that I did not suspect and suspecting that a lot of this was all in his head was that the wife, Michelle Williams, was the child killer, that there really was a woman that drowned three children. I, I did get that. I, I caught that one. I, I figured that one out. And it's there. I just thought that it was always so arbitrary. I nev- I guess I never believed in her reality. But there's a reason why Leo is vomiting over water. He had to wade into a pond and pull out his three children after his wife, who had been showing mental imbalance signs for a long time that he ignored. He came home and found that she had murdered them. Now, I have two questions on this. First of all, did he ask Michelle Williams, why so wet, baby? Because I didn't catch it if he said it. And yeah, yes, there's a did. flashback. After the big reveal, there's a flashback. And that's the first thing. He walks outside and he says, why so wet, baby? Because she's, she's yeah. just dripping wet. He sees her before he sees the right, kids right. at the pond. And she's just sort of on a swing set looking wet. Okay, I didn't catch him saying that line. The second thing was this scene, the flashback, evoked an unintentional laughter response from me because you know Michelle Williams has killed the kids at this point. It's been revealed. And he goes, where are the children? And that just got an unintentional laugh from me because it's like, oh, they're dead in the pond. (laughs) Yes, it is just one of those horrifying, like, how do you even explain? What I find really remarkable about this scene is that I feel like most movies would cut away when he sees the child, the children in the pond, or we would just see his grief-ridden face. Scorsese lingers he is not going to undersell the tragedy of this moment and so we actually watch him pull the children out one by one and really have to confront it have to speak to his wife who looks at him in the eye after she's done this and is like don't be mad i love you i mean and says we're gonna dress them up like perfect dolls yeah they're dolls yeah Yeah, I mean, like that kind of thing is just mind blowing. It's it's a kind of I'm proud to say I don't live in that reality. I don't know pain that that is that deep or crazy. I don't know what I would do in that moment. And I think it's very important that we feel totality of that moment in order to understand why Leo does what he does, which is put a bullet through her. It's a big bang. And then we finally know that, indeed, this is his truth that he has been reporting. Pressing. What will he do with it now? Now that he has woken up, they have role-played, and Ben Kingsley has gotten what he wanted, Leo has come to the conclusions. This is where the movie got interesting, because I think a lot of movies, twist-ending movies, would end with this twist. Ah, it was all this, and that would be the end of it. We find out that Leo has done this before, that he has had this revelation before and then relapsed back into the no, I'm a duly appointed marshal investigating a disappearing woman. Given that we've figured it all out now, we've been told this is all an elaborate role play. How do you guys feel about that? Because I think it's ridiculous that they, for one patient out of 67, they would take the entire island offline and ignore the other 66 patients. And this doctor, who obviously has a lot of patients, would become completely devoted to this one patient. And they'd set up this elaborate ruse and give this criminally insane patient who's beaten up 
other patients and everything free reign over the island. It struck me as ridiculous. Ridiculous, for sure. Can you understand Ben Kingsley's character enough to know he would be compassionate that way? The man certainly has a sympathetic story. When you hear about his wife being, you know, or his wife murdering his children and him having to kill her, her basically begging him to kill her because of the craziness in her brain and the fact that he also had gone to death camps and, and all of that. I think that's a reality. I'm pretty sure that he did really see those things. He didn't really murder Nazi guards there. He murdered real guards at Shutter Island. Oh, I really thought he murdered Nazi guards, too. Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of information being conveyed at the end. And I think it would take a second viewing I'm not going to do in order to find out whether that had any material reality or not. I think what I heard was that it does not, that the guards that died were Shutter Island guards, that the whole uh, I'm killing, executing Nazis wasn't really what happened and it, it, I, I don't think it matters that that happened or not the, the fact is that he felt that it was wrong whether they he was really murdering shutter island guards or, or nazi concentration camp guards he felt a sense that it was actual murder because they were disarmed and, mm. and i think that's what he's really trying to get at yeah uh, but it's important for us to understand that Shutter Island guards have, have perished. And, you know, we already knew that George had been beaten up and brutalized by him. We understand that Leonardo DiCaprio is a fucked up, violent person. And so we now understand, I think, I can go back to that scene with the warden that we mentioned before that seemed so puzzling and understand why the guy is just like, you're evil and I hate you and you're violent and I want to put you down. He's just wanting to give him a lobotomy and be done with it and not do the silly role play anymore and who can't understand that i wouldn't allow this silly role play either i do think it's important we mentioned we haven't said this yet mark ruffalo comes back he's not dead and he in fact has been teddy's psychiatrist the whole time his primary care physician and so he was there you know right next to teddy the whole time keeping track of what he does yeah, and it explains this sort of calm, detached quality that he's had with the investigation and why he didn't really know his partner and why it's always about Leo's issues and never about his own issues. He's not really a character. He is a therapist, and he's walking him through this scenario, hoping for to lead him towards the truth behind the paranoia. The, it's, it's stated that Leo has created all of this paranoia as a way of shielding himself, protecting himself from the truth. Uh, I don't know. I just kind of tense up when I hear these kinds of psychobabble stuff. I just never find these answers very true. You know, identity is the worst offender in my mind of, of, you know, we find out it's all in his head and he has to murder all of his thoughts in order for him to be sane. I just feel like it's a very movious, conventional way of thinking about mental illness that really is kind of bullshit i just it it always strikes me wrong and even though it's very well done here i still feel like eh, this is a this is a cop-out this is not what i came here i was afraid it was going to be this and it is there's more to it but i'm disappointed in the central mystery i thought this was pretty uh you know with the whole scientology conspiracy in hollywood i actually (laughs) thought this was a pretty pro mental illness as as a serious thing type movie Yes, you know, I, yeah, more yeah. more so than most, yeah. Yeah, like like Teddy feels bad because his wife talked about how she felt there was something wrong in her brain and, and he ignored it, you know. it's It seemed to try to take it somewhat seriously or, or yes. more serious than many films would take it, and I appreciated that. I, it would have been so great if the Michelle Williams character had been played by Brooke Shields. 
<laughs> Maybe Tom could have uh, done Leo's part. Well, no, I was just thinking the postpartum depression, killing the kids. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, we talked about twist endings. I thought it was an interesting twist that Ben Kingsley, the psychiatrist, was actually the good guy. He was actually trying to help him out, that there wasn't this big military conspiracy. And that really kind of bothered me because I wanted the big military conspiracy. That's what Hollywood pictures are all about. And this is like, no, there, there's no conspiracy. The psychiatrists are trying to help people. The, the military is not involved at all. And that's what kind of jolted me with this film is that it was different than I expected. And some of that different stuff, you know, the whole role playing thing I thought was ridiculous. I, I don't know I if mean, I totally buy it, but I, I liked it was a different view than you you typically get with this kind of movie. I mean, he actually is allowed to physically beat up guards. I mean, that is really taking a risk on Teddy that you're going to allow him. All right, the guns aren't loaded, sure, but he can still physically harm you with his fist. I mean, he's violent. Uh, and he does. He kicks the shit out of this guard. I mean, that's really putting staff and patients at a severe risk in order to play this game. Yes, HR would have a... Big lawsuit these days. <laughs> this yeah. was the fifties, though. That you could still yeah. sexually arouse. Nobody cared. Yeah, nobody cared about these people. They were on an island, so it was sort of like we can do what we want. And you know, and it's interesting. I, I think you know, listening to you, I'm trying to come around to your way of thinking because I do think it's an expertly made movie, but a, a deeply unsatisfying one. I'm trying to I'm trying to hear the fact that there wasn't a larger conspiracy is a good thing. I do like the later reveal. Not only did Michelle Williams kill the kids, but Leo interprets it as him really killing the kids because he didn't act. He knew his wife was going crazy. He knew she was suffering and said that it was like a bug and he has this really descriptive very poetic uh, description of it's like a bug crawling around in her skull and that she just wants to squash it and can he help her and for reasons that aren't entirely clear uh, I guess he was drinking at the time and he was doing his job for whatever reason see I took it as he was drinking because of the murder of the guards in World War II that mm -hmm. fucked him up and so he became an alcoholic when he went yeah, back yeah he's definitely an alcoholic and he's totaling when he's on Shutter Island because he's afraid of what the alcohol will make him do but so what does that make him impervious to the reality of what's going on with his wife is that what it means yeah that basically he was trying to deal with his own issues and couldn't help his wife deal with hers well okay. you think about the era too this is not a you know the 50s is not a time where it was yeah. normal to have your wife's um, prozac all day because she's you know sitting at home watching the kids i mean m mental illness was still not something that was out in the open as it is today yeah there was no there was no therapist on tv there was no yeah normalizing of this kind of stuff you're you're right i'm trying i'm trying to come around to that way of thinking i mean it is powerful i can give you that the revelation is powerful and it wasn't entirely what i thought i was getting but it has been sold in the same dress. It's wearing the same outfit these things always do, and I hate the color on it. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I need you guys to explain something to me, though. Okay. Because we are really led to believe for two hours of this movie that Michelle Williams died in a fire. Mm -hmm. We see her burning body. Every time we see her, there's floating ashes. And then we find out she was shot. What the fuck? When was she burned? What What was the fire? It was a misdirect. Um, and and it would have been nice in that flashback scene if we had seen Leo burn down his house afterwards or something. But the fire is completely not anything. It's a creation of his mind. 
I thought we were told she started the fire, though. They really did have an apartment, and the apartment really was set on fire, and I think it was like, was it her the first time trying to kill herself and her kids? Or oh, you're right. She is suicidal. I think you're right. Think, good job, Arnie. Yes. I was just confused. Yeah, she. I think she was the one that tried to burn it down in her first suicide attempt. So much of that is told and not shown and i think that i think that's why it's so hard to process it's so hard to process an end twist like this in the last 20 minutes and i guess that it sets up ladeus did set the fire because her last name would be ladeus yeah because his real name was teddy ladeus yes or some shit like andrew 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 why are insane people geniuses at fucking anagrams do all insane people have a scrabble board because if i go insane i'm not going to try to sit around and rearrange my fucking letters that's what i mean about these kind of contrived hollywood versions of mental illness that's still playing into the contrivances i hear what you're saying about some of this not playing into that but when when you have anagrams and, and games like that that's just mystery novels stuff that's yeah. not that's not reality and that's, that's what this came from though i mean yeah so it is. I, i'm it's, gonna give it a few breaks and then a lot a, a lot of what i didn't like about this film it, it has to do with it, its source material i mean mm-hmm. I, as yes. far as what scorsese did uh, the, you know the acting the visuals i, I think that was done great it, yeah this last 20 minutes it, it's not the most satisfying but i don't know I, i'm cutting into break because there's so much good in this film yeah, I, I I hear that it's not it's an expertly made movie. The question is, did I like the story? I guess I'm not disappointed in Leo, and I'm not disappointed in Scorsese, but I do feel like they sold themselves short by doing a movie like this. Now, what I have heard um, is that they are really trying to get a Frank Sinatra biopic made. I Leo- will not be seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't guess we'll be continuing our retrospective if that should ever get off the ground. And, and frankly, Leo as Sinatra does not sound like good casting me. I could, I could be convinced because I am a fan of his, of his performances, but that doesn't seem a natural fit. But in order to get financing for this, they went to this very hot script that had passed around town and said, all right, we'll do your B-movie plot if you will then allow us, if we have a big opening weekend if we have if we make a lot of money on Shutter Island will you please let me make Sinatra with Leo it explains a lot because I don't feel like this material is up to their standards and it's also sad to me because Dennis Lehane is a well-respected crime novelist this one is considered sort of different from his usual stories he wrote Mystic River and he wrote for the HBO show The Wire a show I really liked I know he can write but this is just so it's just so silly. I just I feel like it felt derivative derivative. It felt like, I, you know what? I've just seen this movie too many times. Yeah. What was that movie with Robert Downey Jr. and the in dreams Street? in dreams? Yes, exactly. It was all based on Snow White and Annette Benning is really Robert Downey Jr. with a gender conflict in a minute on Sane Warm. There was one with Adrian Brody called The Jacket. He was a Gulf War veteran who came back and was in a men award. There's, it's been done. And I saw them all. And so on a certain level, I must be a fan because I saw them all and I keep wanting to see the story. But at the same time, I keep getting mad at myself because it's always the same story. And that's, that's my bind here is that I feel like this may be the best version of this story ever told, but I saw it 20 times already and I thought I was done with it. Well, I, I want to ask you guys the question about the last scene because I think this, you know, I don't think it's a big mystery if 
Leo, Teddy, Andrew, whatever he wants to call himself, <laughs> was really crazy or not. I, I think that's pretty apparent. I, what I find chilling is the last scene yes. is where you see him revert back to this Teddy persona. And my question is, did he really revert or did he have a sense of what was going on, who he was, and that he wanted to put himself down? Yeah, because he has that great line, is it better to die a great man or live a monster? And I think I think that's the reveal. I think you're right. It's, the, it's, the, it's what turns Shutter Island from a B-movie thriller cheapy into a tragedy, is that, oh my God, this man knows the truth, has faced it numerous times now, has hurt people in the process of doing it, and still cannot live with it, and would rather be lobotomized than to live with it. And that is heavy. That's a really heavy notion. And that's the ending I wanted with The Departed. I mean, that was my whole problem with The Departed is everyone dies. There's no sense of, of guilt or, or heaviness that you had here where you had this, this character that has done all these terrible things and he had finally reconciled it and he's, you know, he had made a decision what to do with that. And that's – I think that's what won this movie over for me was that final scene. Yeah, I agree with you. I was I was going to literally, I promise you guys, I was going to literally shriek at the top of my lungs starting out this podcast. But when I saw that scene, I went, you know what? That's not just a cheap plot twist. That is tragedy, and it's it's well done. And it, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed, but I'm not angry because that ending is very solid. I agree that that last scene was very well done and you see them walking him away and he knows what's happening. Yeah, the orderly tap the knife even, the thing that's going to protrude up his nose and and do the whole job, yeah. And there's a tense moment. Is he going to try to break his way through these guards and run? Right, yeah. I mean, there is some, you know, I love that moment. It's a great ending and it's, it's the kind of twist that doesn't feel cheap. It's a twist that feels predicated on tragedy, psychology. It's a character trait and not just a, oh, everything you saw was just a dream. You know, those are twists I don't like. This kind of twist I love. And this movie gave us both, the cheap one and the powerful one. All right. Well, I think we're at the end here. Let's find out. Final verdict, guys. Do you recommend Shutter Island? Jacob? I do recommend Shutter Island. It, it was something I had to think about. <laughs> like most of these uh, Scorsese movies, I've had to really think about, am I going to recommend these or not? But ultimately, I think this is a, a great cinematic experience. I talked about that with Gangs in New York. You know, Arnie, you talk a, a lot about how you're really into story and, and the structure. And for me, wh- when I approach an artwork, I want it to use its strengths, whatever its specific strengths are. You know, if, it, if it's music, you have certain strengths to a piece of music that you don't have with a painting or with a movie. And so when it comes to cinema, story's important. It's got to make sense, you know, but I, I focus more on the cinematic elements. And I love the cinematography here. I, we talked about a, a lot of these weird, creepy, dreamlike elements that Scorsese brings in. And I was I was sucked in by those. Is this Scorsese's The Shining? I, I think the last 20 minutes kind of ruined that kind of experience that I had when I watched Kubrick's The Shining. But it had a lot of those elements where I was just sucked in. I enjoyed it. I, I got lost. And there's times where I wasn't thinking about, okay, what kind of twist is coming up? Yeah, that final reveal, it, it's not satisfying. And, and I got to blame that, you know, on the on the source material. But like we talked about, that final scene really won me over. It, it makes this movie linger in my head. And mm. and so I 
am I going to go pay another 12 bucks to go see this again? No, but when this is on TV, I definitely want to watch it again and, and try to figure out, you know, try to pick up on more clues. It's something I definitely going to watch again. So, yes, I recommend this movie. Okay. Arnie. This one's hard for me because, you know. This has been hard for you, Arnie. I think this whole series has been hard for you. (laughs) I really am torn on this because on the one hand, I kind of feel like this is our generation's whodunit. You know, in the old noir films, it was literally who pulled the trigger. And in this day and age, it's no longer a mystery of who pulled the trigger, but who's mind fucked. And so this entire movie, unlike Jacob, I never stopped looking for clues and trying to be the Encyclopedia Brown of the theater to figure it out first. You know, I knew Bruce Willis was dead halfway through Sixth Sense, and I figured this one out right during the prison scene. So to me, this is a whodunit, and if the end result is the butler, it's unsatisfying. This is a well-made movie in every respect. Every performance is top-notch. Even Leo. Leo is great in this. This is the first movie of these four that I feel Leo did great work in. It was the only one, you know, I said I came into the series, I agreed to it, mostly because of Leo's performance in Catch Me If You Can. This is the first performance that he's given Scorsese that I felt lived up to that. I thought in Gangs of New York, he was just kind of there, and then in the next two, he just didn't pull it off as well, kind of miscast. I thought he did great here. I thought that he was the right amount of angry and brooding, and I've said it in the past, you know, I said with The Departed, that I didn't feel like Leo was dangerous and it felt very affected when he hit the guy in the head with the glass. Here, I got it. I got that he was a violent guy. I went with it. And maybe it's just because I've been seeing so many goddamn movies in a row where he's violent. But finally, (laughs) I'm like, yes, all right, he can hit me. So... I thought the effects were well done. I thought the mood was right. The music was a little overblown. So up until the fucking twist, yes, I recommend this movie. But the twist, just it's a role-playing game. It's a LARP. You know, these are the same kind of people who are now running around. I'm a vampire. You can't see me. It's like, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So, this pioneered, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, they, yeah they pioneered LARPing on an island. Great. There you go. And so uh, that really was stupid. I felt like that was stupid. Now, they played it the best they could. The scene with the drowning kids, yeah, I got a couple unintentional laughs because I I just think they should have redone a little of that dialogue because it's like, where are the kids? They're dead. But (laughs) I was other than that, I mean, that was really good seeing him try to do the CPR and the we're going to make them our dolls was creepy. And then the lobotomy at the end had some good weight. But overall, the twist didn't fulfill. And when you look back at this movie, I'm never watching this movie again. Again. Uh, I, I liked it, but the twist kind of pissed me off, and it's not a movie I feel compelled to watch again. And Jacob, I think when you watch it again and you know the twist going in, you're going to find that a lot of it, like Mark Ruffalo's character, just doesn't pay off and doesn't make sense. The, there's too many intentional misdirects where they're trying to throw us off the trail, but... It, it's done in kind of a ham-handed fashion, and again, that may be the source material, but I'm not here to point fingers at who. I'm just here to say whether or not I recommend this movie. And the twist just, oh, God, it's so disappointing. And when I walked out of that theater, I felt like I could have spent that two hours better. There would have been movies that I would have gotten more out of. So as well done as it is, I'm just so split on whether or not to recommend it, and I'm just... I think I'm going to have to basically say if you watch one of these movies like 
anything by Shalaman and care how big the twist is and it's all about the twist, then no, I don't recommend it. If you like good performances and well-done set pieces and atmospheric scenes, then yes, I do recommend it. But for me, I, I'm not going to watch it again. I hear what you're saying, and I, I'm, I'm leaning on Arnie's side here. I'm the Scorsese fan. He has made bad movies before, and he has not made a bad movie here. This is a very well-made movie. It is not Cape Fear. It is not Undune. It is him trying something new and succeeding. I think the, the only problem for me is that he sold himself short by going with a story whose twist is just... There's two, well, there's two twists. There's the twist that it's all in Leo's head that I hate, and then there's the twist that he knows it, but he and he can't live with it, and that I love. I'm going to give it a recommend largely because of Scorsese and Leo. They're great. They're in top form here. I love this partnership. I've loved every, not maybe not loved, but I've liked every movie in the series that we've done. This is the weakest one for me, largely because of the B-movie plot. But I, as a fan, have to say you at least need to see it once if you're a Scorsese fan. If you've liked any of the other movies in the series, go ahead and give this one a try. See what you think. See how they've grown. Leo has definitely gotten better by working through Scorsese and the whole pretty boy. uh, He's uh, not a pretty boy anymore. He is a neurotic, strange character actor. It's interesting to see him, what he has become in Scorsese's tutelage. I really enjoyed reflecting back on all of these movies in the series. And this is a strange one to end it on, but I like this partnership and I do like what they've done with Shutter Island. So a very strange qualified recommend from me as well. If you like this podcast, we have a whole lot more from Star Trek and science fiction to straight up horror. We're about to get into Nightmare on Elm Street. I know that one going to be a good one and i am really looking forward to seeing jackie's take on freddie at the end of april here guys thanks for joining me we're taking next week off but we'll be back in two weeks and we'll see you in your dreams Thank you for joining us for now playing Spartan Scorsese Leonardo DiCaprio Retrospective Series. Be sure to visit us at NowPlayingPodcast.com every Friday from now until the release of Shutter Island, February 19th, for a new installment in this series. The movies discussed in this series are the properties of their respective trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. Now Playing is not affiliated with Miramax Films, Intermedia Films, Initial Entertainment Group, Warner Brothers, or any other creative entity involved in these films. Now Playing is a production of Inganza Media Incorporated, copyright and trademark 2010, all rights reserved. The way of the future, the way of the future, the way of the future. Way of the future. <clears throat> the way of the future. I, I love Kubrick's work. You know, if that guy ever gets around to doing another movie, we should definitely do a retrospective. On <laughs> <laughs> Even if he does it, I'm up for it. But yeah. uh...
And I really like Jackie Haley or, or, or Jackie Earl Haley has his name is so weird because I want to call him Joel Haley Osment, but uh, <laughs> it's so not Joel Haley Osment. 